Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction, its essence has become crucial to our salvation. Tell me how many lights you see. Yeah! Ah! Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. I'm Chrissy Raffensperger. And I am apparently the very irreverent Dave Summers. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> very irreverent indeed. Uh, but, well, it's great to hang out with you guys again. And for those of you that did tune in to the last show that got pulled down, I'm very apologetic. We apologize for the audio on that. And, um, yeah, it's just the way it goes sometimes. So, But here we are, and we did audio checks, and our audio should be working fine. And that's important because I'm really excited about what we're talking about tonight. Dave, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so this came out of a conversation Dave and I had so don't know you're tuning in for the first time Dave and I work at the same school and uh, we'll, we'll come out well he'll come out and hang out in my room a little bit sometimes or we'll chat in the hall and it was after our time at Farpoint which we just got back from a week ago or two weeks ago and we'll talk about that in a future future episode here but one of the things we want to talk about tonight is what are your top five Star Wars villains of all time and uh, this was, Dave and I were just chatting about this, and this became a little bit difficult. What, what made it challenging, Dave, from your end? Really trying to define what, what makes a villain here in Star Wars. Because we've got a lot of bad guys, or guys that we would look at in this universe as the bad guy. But to really at least to try to narrow it down specifically, but do you really define what a villain is? So I think one of the things we want to start with before our little discussion is really to try to give a bit of an answer to that question, like a little litmus test as to what is going to define a villain. Like we all know right now, like the Emperor and Darth Vader, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be the top two probably on anybody's list. So we're going to grant them in as as some top stuff top the top billing on the on the on the villain list but what makes a villain in star wars what makes a villain period thoughts oh I'm, I'm sure you've had these kind of discussions before in your english class scott because um, <laughs> it's more because i mean the most basic definition, you have your protagonist, which is usually your hero, and you have your antagonist, which usually is the villain, where they're working at cross-purposes of your protagonist. But then you get into the moral part of villainy, because you could have two different people on two different sides, and they're both protagonists and antagonists, depending on your point of view. Like, if you are rooting for the school district, you know your team is your protagonist 
the opposing team from, I don't know, Conestoga Valley would be your antagonist. That doesn't make them villains. That just makes them working at cross purposes of your desire to win the basketball game or whatever it is. So you can't just take that very basic definition of an antagonist. You have to then start imposing some sort of higher morality upon it where you're making judgments and value judgments on what that person is doing, their goals, and the means they use to get there. Because you can have noble goals, but then do terrible things to get there. Like, we all might agree that working together as a society to, I don't know, say, eliminate genetic diseases is a great idea. Eugenics is not a good idea if that's how you're going to achieve that goal. So there's there's lots of different ways of like going about defining heroes, villains, and everything else. Don't let me hog all the conversation, guys. Jump in. Yeah. Miles, what do you think about this? So you're gonna have some characters in Star Wars that we put the label villain on that have questionable or no ethics. They're just out for themselves and it, it it's about making a buck. Um, and, I'm so and I was thinking him. There's, but, um, and and then you have your other villains. That's a little more complicated. It's like uh, they want to try to create a better world, but they don't have a problem of doing wrong things for what they feel is the right reason. And so, I think. The latter makes more, you know, usually makes for more interesting villains. I'm not going to you know, it's, there's no, sometimes a two-dimensional mustache twirling villain is the right character for that story. But sometimes if your villain needs to be a little more, you need to maybe understand, empathize with, with that person, uh, a little more to appreciate the story that's being told. I mean, I'm going to jump franchises for a second. And Chrissy, you sort of said like a worthy goal of um, uh, Thanos had a worthy goal. You you know, resources were diminishing. We got to do something. Okay. I got an idea. Let's kill half the population on all the worlds. Bad idea. It's evil. But uh, Thanos says, no, we got to, we got to, you know, I will do it. I don't, we won't, you know, indiscriminately, regardless of their station in life. It's just, it's about, it's about saving. We can't save everybody. So we'll save half the population. I'm the only one who can make the hard, hard decisions and the hard choices and do this. And, and I'm willing to do it. And, well, and, and there is actually a whole school of philosophy and philosophical thought that goes into that of, we not only have a moral obligation to the people who are currently living, but we have a moral obligation to the future. And some people will say it's okay to justifiably, you know, break a few omelets now in order to save a greater number of people later, which would probably have been his logic of we have to do this here because if we don't kill half the population now, the planets will go you know, too far, and then everyone will die, because I think that's what happened to his planet. So his whole thing was, I'm, we can't save the whole population, we can only save half the population, and, you know, it's that, surely, 
you know, killing one person to save four people tied to the trail, the railroad tracks is better. I'm not saying it is. I'm just say, using that 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 is a philosophical argument that I am familiar with. In a logical sense, the so needs it, of the it, many would outweigh the needs of the few. Right. In that sense. So, right. But we all agree Thanos was not doing the right thing. Of course. We if you say so. Some people would argue that. No. that, that <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave's, there are people who Dave's would make that argument. He's snapping his fingers trying to get rid of. It's like, not working. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, gosh darn it. Yeah. So I think, the, uh, I think uh, it sounds like we have. have um, I think motive seems like an important part of villainy. And we said out for self, but a kind of a part of the out for self thing is, uh, is our motivate, is our motivation maybe control? Is it self gain? I think those things are kind of important there. Yeah. I mean, John Wick going on a murder spree because someone killed his dog. I mean, he was out for himself. In his defense, they did kill a dog. Yeah. Now, they deserved it. They did. Yeah, they, they did, absolutely. He, he, was, he is definitely not the villain here. No. <laughs> he did nothing wrong. <laughs> oh. Yeah. But, you know, like, we, but we've to also be fair, seen... To be fair, people were trying to kill him, too, so... Well, true, but, I mean, we have seen... So it was all self-defense. I'm sure we would look and see plot points of people who looked like they were, you know, evil, but were doing it to defend their home planet or were doing it out of revenge. Um, I want to say in, this is, it's been a long time since I watched the Star Wars cartoon. There was a point where, was it Ahsoka was trying to help some like rebels on a planet that had been taken over? Ugh, I need to Google it. But like... You see, you would see that they would would undertake guerrilla warfare tactics, which you know in the Clone Wars, I guess was okay. But then later on, I don't think what they were doing. Oh, I wish I could remember that well, episode. In Rogue One, I mean, we had uh, they really explored moral ambiguity with uh, with some of the rebels. I mean, uh, the lead the lead character in Rogue One, he you know. He shot his informant in the back because he didn't want his informant getting caught and ratting him out. Right. So, I mean, I, I do think that, like, we, we, like, we do take into account motive. And I mean, that is one of the things that people use when they're looking at, like, crimes and charges, is they're looking at someone's motive. I mean, you cannot charge someone with a hate crime without the motive of hate based on some sort of protected class. So as a society, we have determined that the motive for someone to do something is an important piece of the criminality. Yeah. In our criminal law. So, but, like, how, like, where, where does the self-serving versus... Because someone might be like... Well, I have to be the one to take over the kingdom. Only I have the proper moral judgment to, you know, do these things, and I will make the difficult decisions. 
because I am so virtuous, you know. I chimed in at the right time. Chrissy's virtuous and she's making the difficult decisions. Got it. Yes, and that is why you should crown me Queen of America instead of voting for a president in 2024. Hey, if, you, if, you, if you ran Chrissy, I'd be apt to vote for you. Just sad. You know, I'm, I'm now old enough to be president. Yes. Over I'd be your secretary of offense. Sure. <laughs> yes. And his offense will be, I'm going to go to, into every diplomatic meeting and threaten them with the bomb in order to get what we want. Right, it's right. It's going to be like this. Listen, guys. <laughs> let me tell you how this is going to go. See, we now have ourselves a nice little villainy thing yeah. going on. Because she's right. a nuclear bomb. I'm Apparently. just going to be power hungry. There we go. Um. All right. Well, let's. Uh, why don't we leap into talking about some villains? And uh, sure. and and, and see where we uh, and see how we uh, tear these down a little bit. Um, we can start with Miles' list here, and uh, just kind of uh, walk through them. Uh, let's start with your honorable mention. We'll start with the weakest and go down through. So, Miles, who did you have as your honorable mention? Jab of the Hut. Okay. So. This is why he, he is a, a good villain in Star Wars. Um, he is amoral. Uh, he, he has gotten a lot of people to work for him. I mean, he physically, I mean, okay, he's a, he's a big blob with two arms. So I don't know what physically he can do, but he can still, he still wields a lot you. of power. Well, there, yeah, that is true. But he, he has he has got a way to get his claws into people to do his bidding, and he's got this criminal empire um, that spans the galaxy, and um, you know he he has a power to get people to to do for him, and and he, and, and he was he, I thought he was great in in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, just. Uh, um, you know, the way he got people to do stuff for him and just the way he, he, he acted, um, you know, he got Princess, you know, Princess Leia to degrade herself by wearing that slave outfit and hanging out with him. And um, it was the best thing so, that happened to teen boys in the late, <laughs> in the 80s. But, it's a gift that keeps on giving. I mean, uh, it, I was going to say the best part about Jabba the Hutt was the, uh, the Orion slave girls, but. And so there, there are still many lovely women that want that cosplay that at conventions till this day. Miles didn't catch it. I know. Surprised. I'm going to have to. What is it? The Twilix slave girls. That's what it meant. Twilix. Yes, the Twilix slave girls. He said Orion slave girls. I was like, I did, I did, but, but anyways, yes. I know. I'm sorry. Interrupted your rap. So, uh, so does do, are we all are, are we in agreement? Does Job of the Hut? He's self-serving. He's out for himself. Um, and helped to contribute to the fall of Anakin Skywalker because the Hut Empire held him and his mother like they originally. So 
what's his face didn't didn't originally own Anakin and his mother. He was bought uh, from the Huts. Yeah, Watto. Yeah, Watto. So right there is planting the seeds for the dark side for Emperor Palpatine to come in and get them to blossom. Yeah, maybe. But I think I would say the catalyst really was the sand people and the death of his mother is really the catalyst. Because that's a point that says, I will not lose, after this, I will not lose one more person I love. And that becomes like the driving force for Anakin. But but no, I certainly, I, Jabba certainly had his hands in that. You're right. Well, I mean, had his mother not been held in slavery, he may have been able, she may have been able to go. Right, absolutely. So there... So I'm just saying that, you know, like that, that whole thing, the huts themselves helped contribute to that. Right. Another great thing about Java was the way he terminated your employment was he opened the floor and you fell down and you got ate by a rancor. Yep. You know, just. So probably the, the lack of value of human life certainly would fit in there unless it was self-serving. It was serving him. And he 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 kind of comes more off more as a maybe little more two dimensional as far as villains go. There's very little complexity with Jabba the Hutt. It's 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 about his self serving and keeping his empire going. And if you screw up, you know uh, he'll have you frozen in carbonite and display, have you on display or open up the floor and you fall down a pit and rancor eats you. There's just something very traditional as far as a villain goes when it came to Jabba. Or you, or you get put in a slave girl outfit. True. I, I don't look at Jabba as a villain at all. And why? Why, why, so why is that? Why is that? So, I see Jabba, I see Jabba. operating in a within a system. And Jabba, to me, is nothing more than a businessman running his corporation there of illegal activities. But his business as it is, that there's no overlying, there's no overlaying purpose and drive to evil that would, to me anyway, make him a villain. Hmm. Like even- he is very much in it for himself. He's in it to make money. But so is every corporation that we know of right now. He terminated your employment by dropping you into a ranker pit. Corporations will end up terminating your employment and possibly ruining your livelihood if, if they have no longer have a need for you. He's a businessman. Yeah, but I would also categorize the business people as evil, like, objectively. Well, why? Well, why? If I'm a bounty hunter and I'm working for Jabba the Hutt, well, so there's he, a mark. He is a, I'm going to get him. I, I'm getting paid for bringing him back to you. I'm ambivalent to really what it is. There's no real evil intent. This is a job for me yeah, in a he, galaxy. He, he, that he, so he is a slaver though, and that makes it. He's not just a. He's not just a business. He's, and these people that are enslaved, they aren't earning any income from him. But again, but again. We're judging that level of business by our morality and our standard. 
it may not have been the same there. Like slavery was once a very big thing, a very big economy at one point in the world. Say what a villain is. We are using our moral standards. Correct. But and I would argue in the Star Wars universe that slavery was not viewed favorably. If we're going by that moral, if we're going to say, okay, we can't impose our moral code, well, let's impose the Star Wars universe moral code, the Jedi moral code, right? And then it's... Yeah, let's, let's do that. How many slaves did the Jedi come in and free? One. Depends. Anakin Skywalker on a game of a chance cube. The powerful Jedi, great Jedi Order. I am going to be very contrarian with a lot of this stuff. Okay, you, you should. You should. <laughs> I love it. The, All the salt. Yeah. They didn't come and take their great presence and power at the height of their power, at the height of their power, to go free slaves because it was immoral. They didn't impose that. But on, they did kidnap children and brainwash them as part of their cult. Ah, yes, they did, didn't they? Interesting. Interesting how that works. They didn't, I don't think it was so much kidnapping. They They took them from their families. They they took them, but that was, but that, it was kind of a, many times a voluntary thing. Oh, the kid volunteered for that? No, the parents volunteered the kid. Parents offered their children up to a religious cult. Yep. And yes, we do that with our kids as, as Christians and religious people. We bring them in. We we indoctrinate we them. them to the church and indoctrinate them to a point. <laughs> yeah, to, to if for any other poor term, in a sense, yes. Well, I mean, we do get all of our children in the United States to pledge allegiance to the flag daily. I'm just saying. If that's not indoctrination, I don't know what is. I'm a teacher, and I can tell you for a fact that not all of them pledge allegiance to the flag. They do not. Yes. You're lucky to get them standing up. Yeah. Yeah. I was one of what? those children. Next. Yeah. No, so I I, I, I hear you. I, I think that Jabba, like, if you view Jabba as a business person, then, like, I hear what you're saying. Like, don't get me wrong. But I also, I also would say that there is very little redeeming quality in from the moral sense when I look at Jabba and the way of I don't know the the way he treated people that did not align with his purpose and that becomes that becomes a little bit problematic well, I'm not arguing that he ain't a piece of crap I mean well I mean it, it's kind of like you look at you know some of the other people who are businessmen I think of the one cartoon you had that pirate guy, Hondo. Oh, yeah. He was always like, oh, it's just business, you know? But there were times when he was very genuinely not just business. He did go out of his way to serve a greater purpose, you know? Because he was chaotic good. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, like, again, it goes back to those motives of like, oh, completely self-serving, no real outside moral compass other than what is in it for me. And if you are not there for me, then you are superfluous and I'm just going to get rid of you because quite frankly, your voice irritates me. Go get fed to my pet versus someone else who's like, well, it's just business. I'm not obligated to help you, but I'm also not going to go out of my way to harm you. So. Yeah. All right. Well, now someone uh, might. 
Yeah, let's okay. move on to the next one. Miles, what was your number five? Uh, so I, I picked uh, Moth Gideon uh, from Mandalorian, played brilliantly by John Carlo Esposito. Scott and I actually met him at Farpoint. Uh, Fantastic person. So uh, the worst he gets is good as far as whatever villains he plays. Uh, he, his ambitions kept getting larger every season. You know, he wanted to kidnap Grogu. You know, he got the, the Black Saber. Uh, he wanted to make, you know, clones of himself, his own clone army. And he made his own Mandalorian armor, and, and which eventually became his undoing. But, but yeah, I, I, I like Moth Gideon as a, as a villain. And I thought... It was interesting watching the the last season where Luke comes in to save the day and uh, Gideon is so scared he tries to off himself. So I was interesting that he was so scared of Luke Skywalker that um, you know he was going to take you know he wanted to kill himself. So uh, yeah. how do you guys feel about Moff Gideon? I mean certainly see fit the bill i mean he was in season one he was experimenting on a baby i think most of us can agree that that is morally wrong one should not be experimenting on a baby for your own self-gain to be fair the baby was 50 years old just saying it was still a baby in his developmentally who's being contrary now god for purposes yeah. It's like, listen, the, the moment I don't bring the salt, there it is all about it. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, I think that uh, certainly seems, well, so he's not necessarily self-serving. He's serving the empire. I think uh, ultimately he seems to be a part of a larger game afoot. Um, in The Mandalorian, though, as we see him, he certainly he certainly is the antagonist and certainly is is you know, seems malevolent malevolent in his intent toward our the people we're following, whether it be Grogu, the Mandalorian, etc. Well, yeah, and I mean I didn't watch all of it, but I got the sense that he was basically abandoning his imperial role of what he was supposed to be doing. Even if you said like, okay, he was serving in the Empire, serving that higher cause, he truly believed in that the that the Empire was good for the galaxy, blah, 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 blah. He then just was all about himself as his own kind of like war warlord kind of a thing going on. And just like marauding around as a loose cannon. Um, but he was also a member of a, a cabal, we'll say, of former Imperials who were seeking to overthrow the newly established legitimate government of the new Republic and reinstitute their tyranny. Right. He was a, certainly a conspirator and a heavy player in that. Right. And the real question, the, the real, the real question becomes in that and there's hints of it in the Mandalorian is, is the head of this cabal Thrawn, right? Which we'll get to Thrawn a little bit later, but uh, you would say that he's certainly in that way serving 
maybe maybe what he's doing is he's kind of a loose cannon, as you said. But I think that there's certainly a lot to be argued that he is doing this for himself, but also for what he views as being the empire. He's what I call a true believer. He, you know, his his gospel, his religion is the empire, and mm-hmm. he's trying to bring it back. Any other thoughts about Moff Gideon? I mean, he seems pretty cut and dry in my book. Yeah. How about Balin's skull? I'm going to take yours, Miles. Uh, Number four you had is Balin's skull. Tell us a little bit about why you placed him here. I don't have have as much thoughts. I just like the way he carried himself throughout the whole series. He knew... Yes, he was was helping Morgan bring back... to go go bring back um, uh, Thrawn, but... I don't know. There was just, he's interesting to me because he just, he, he carried himself with this regalness and dignity and he knew he was not going back to the galaxy. Uh, sadly, we never know what happens because sadly the actor who played him passed away. Oh no, the, we'll know. He's, he's back in Ahsoka too. Okay. So he filmed, I didn't know that. So they filmed, they filmed no, Ahsoka. I think they did something else. It's not film, but he's, he's back. So either either they replace either they replace the actor or got the permission to use his likeness. Okay. So, um, you know, you, a former Jedi who who is disillusioned with the Jedi uh, Order, and I, I think he think he's one of those who thinks he's doing the right thing by trying to replace the the the, the better system is the Empire than than the Republic, and so. You know, he, he and and he obviously has some bad feelings towards the Jedi. Uh, not a Sith, you know, but something kind of in between. But uh, I just thought I, I just appreciate the way the actor played him throughout throughout Ahsoka. So I would definitely agree with that. I I loved the actor. I thought he was well played. I'm uh, I'm arguing with myself internally as to whether I view him really as a villain. Um. Because, as you said, he he's disillusioned by the Jedi, um, and maybe for some very valid reasons, right? He doesn't go into all of those reasons in the episodes we see him in, but we do we do see in him. He believes that somehow what he's doing will set the set humanity or the galaxy on a right course. We don't know all the machinations of that because obviously the story was called Ahsoka, not Bale and Scroll. So we didn't necessarily focus on all the backstory that we got with some of the other characters in the in the in the series. If you take certain actions, you're kind of a villain. I mean, him and his apprentice board a New Republic ship. They kill a bunch of officers and crew to bust out uh, Morgan. That may be what you call to justify yourself doing the wrong thing for the right reason. But, you know, you're taking, you're doing some illegal activities. You're at least a criminal. From a certain point of view. Well, if you, from a legal point of view, you're a criminal. Whose legal system? Well, right now it's the new Republic. That's, that, that, that's, that's the government that's in charge. So I would argue 
So, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo breaking Leia out in episode one, the first movie, were clearly villains running around the Death Star, killing those innocent stormtroopers who were doing nothing more than but their jobs. Oh, okay. Because so. <laughs> what they were doing was illegal. Yeah, because they, the current government was saying these prisoners should be there. And then they was blew. The and then those terrorists blew up the Death Star. Was the New Republic a oppressive government regime? Well, some. I actually don't have enough information to make that final determination. <laughs> would Would you think the Empire was a tyrannical government regime? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Was the previous Republic? Yeah, you could live a, a normal life as long as you didn't. As long as you towed the line, you were fine. As long as you operated inside the law. And some people... Oh, I, <laughs> you're going to love my number two. Being <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, a number two, it's obviously shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fact. <laughs> Chrissy, I didn't know you liked potty humor. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I knew mean, that. I knew that a long time ago. It's, it's one of those things where I was like, I, I just can't resist. Can't pass it up. It's just, so, um, Balin Skull, you know, as far as being a villain, I, I, I feel like I don't have enough information to make a really good call. Like we get, we, we see him for such a limited time and on surface, you can say, well, He's fighting against Ahsoka and the New Republic, and we're pro-New Republic, as you're kind of supposed to be. But it does. It, it sounds like he has in himself a... So he reminds me of Dooku a little bit. There's this regalness that he brings to being a villain that you would say, well, I'm not certain that he's absolute evil. Dooku might be one of those guys thinking he has to do the wrong thing for the right reason. Yeah. And, and keep up this, th these names I'm given, these are villains I just liked. There's not, a, it's. Oh, we're critiquing uh, them whether you liked them or not, Miles. <laughs> we're totally critiquing them. I mean, you guys are got my, my, my next colonoscopy is not for another few more years. I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what? Yeah, and I and I didn't watch enough of of Soka to make like a really good determination. But I mean, I don't I don't know if there are aspects of the New Republic in this version of it, which I still test as expensive fan fiction, and the other one is the real stuff. But you know, I digress. Um, to be like. Is it doing things that are oppressive? Are there things that it's doing that aren't really that great? Is it delivering on the promises? Of, I mean, if you tear down one system and install, you know, a different kind of regime, are you, like, are you doing the right thing? If someone's like, you know what? We had it better under this. I mean, you had some the people French did, Revolution. Some didn't. I mean, you have the French Revolution that got rid of a really oppressive government that didn't even make sure the people were fed. 
But then you had a lot of people getting guillotined. A lot. Ask the people of Alderaan how they like the Empire. Well, you can't because they're gone. That's right. <laughs> and that's oh, how you know what to send. We could, we, could, we could ask Kenobi. He heard a thousand voices dying and screaming in the night. Crying out all at once. That's right. You can't the, ask the him. He's Republic. dead, too. The, the New Republic, if we remember, was also rounding up former Imperials and putting them into... For better or for worse, re-education camps. Boy, this sounds like 1984 all over again. We did see that in... Was that Andor? That was Andor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Well... Yeah, it had to have been Andor. So. I think it was... I think, I think it was Ahsoka. No, yeah, because no, no. Andor, because Andor took place during the Empire, right? Yeah, it, was, it was a one-off episode of Ahsoka that you saw, well, how does this relate to anything? Was it? So I mean, yeah, I'm pretty. I sure think. Or was the Man- Mandalorian? We uh, saw we saw some of these people introduced during the Mandalorian, but yeah, I'm trying to remember which one it was. I remember they were going in and no, stealing, it was like, it was, a, it was the Mandalorian. I think it was Mandalorian. Okay. So I mean, you have some things that are oppressive that they're doing. I mean, you can make arguments like, well, this one is better. I mean, the Empire helped quash some petty squabbling i mean the whole episode one you see basically one the trade federation could come and invade a planet and the the old republic is is just gonna sit there and be like no we're going to ignore it it's fine you know because of politics and who has the money and who's paying them and and all of that stuff they brought about a safe and secure society exactly it was a safe and secure society provided you followed the very narrow rules to be a safe and secure society which i think when you look at most utopias or ideas of utopia the only way to create it is to have a totalitarian regime because how else are you going to control everyone to make this utopia yeah next up (laughs) sorry did you say you had a list, Dave? Oh, yeah, yeah I got a couple. Do you want to pull well, one? Well, let's from, hear some of Dave's. Yeah, let's pull one from your list. Okay. My number five is Dooku. For the fact that he was integral, integral, integral in. Palpatine's usurpation and his false flag event creating start of fueling this war that ended up bringing him to power in the fall of the Republic. He was a knowing and willing participant working for the Separatists. To me, his intent in fueling this and, and, and acting in with the subterfuge to, again, undermine the long-standing sitting Republic government puts him at a number five for a villain for me. 
No, that's good. He was a very important cog in, in uh, Darth Sidious's um, regime to, you know, get this thing going. Um, I was going to ask, was he the one that hired the Caminos for the, for the clone army? I believe. Darth Tyrannus. Oh, no, that was Darth. No. Dooku was Darth Tyrannus. Uh, Master oh, Sifidius. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was, and I don't know who he was. Yeah, he's not. He's, okay, he's he mentioned as a one-off, but yeah, he's the one who ordered up the clone army. And Dooku had a cool lightsaber. Oh yeah, that curved, that curved hilt on that thing. Yeah, and he was a former Jedi. I mean, that's how you know they're a villain if they have a cool lightsaber. The, the, the coolness factor of the lightsaber design is directly correlated to your villainy. That's why, you know, Maul should be up there with everybody, because he has a really cool lightsaber. Kylo did not have as cool of a lightsaber as he should have had. And that is why he just, he sucks as a villain. That was just J.J. and poor writing. Who is my number one one of number my number one villain of all? Yes, JJ. <laughs> Listen, it goes Kathleen Kennedy, Ryan Johnson. Those are my Star Wars villains. So, just Maybe a little note: we were talking about Cypher Diaz. He was actually an apprentice of our the um, of Sith Lord Darth Tyrannus of uh, Dooku. Okay. Dooku was his Jedi Master. So. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Or maybe not. Maybe it doesn't matter. But anyways, so yeah, well, so it makes def- sense. So he's definitely a villain. I guess I was I was over here just weighing like how much did did Count Dooku really know of the Emperor's plan? Like I, I, I like. He's obviously a pawn. He's playing in and he's, you know, in charge of the separatist army and playing into that whole thing. But, like, how much did he know? He obviously knew that he was trying for power, but did he really understand the power play that the emperor was pulling um, with the clone army and so on? Did he think he had a part to play after Darth Sidious was successful? Because Darth Sidious just treated him like a loose end. Yeah. And the look of surprise on his face when he told Anakin to kill him. Yep. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. The look on his face of betrayal by his, from his master scared him, shocked him. And at the end realized Maybe he maybe t- he was only just a pawn for him with all that he did. He very well may have believed, and, and it wouldn't shock me if he did believe, that he thought his role would be far more lasting. No, yeah. Nope. Good. Why? Well, I, I like him as a villain. He definitely belongs in the villain list. I mean, how villainous is he? I, uh, I'm not sure that he's the most villainous, but... Because I think there's something, but he, but he's he's up there certainly. Well, yeah. he gave uh, uh, Ben, um, Obi Wan, and uh, Anakin a run for their money. Yep, he did. Two. He did twice. 
Yes. So uh, tell me a little bit, Dave. Uh, give me another one off your list. Let's see, for the sake of time, I'll jump down to number three. Okay, who's your number three? The Grand Inquisitor. The true devotee, the true believer of the Sith. His only job was to hunt down remaining Jedi and eliminate them. So this is the guy that we see in um, Kenobi. Yes, in Kenobi and... And obviously the animated series, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very smart, very cunning, deceitful, and was not was not above collateral damage to get his prey along with the rest of the inquisitors listen there was a spider the house had to be burned that's just that's just how it is that's it yeah yeah grand inquisitor he's my number three villain because for the simple fact he was a true believer yeah and he uh and yeah no i i there's very little I can't find much redemptive about about the true inquisitor. But all right. Can I get my number two for time? Sure. Chrissy, do you have any on your yeah. list? Um I'm happy that we to, haven't go ahead. that we haven't talked about. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I think everyone would say Thrawn needs to be in the top five. I don't know if it would be like my number, like where he would be. Um, so this is this is my problem with Thrawn. Thrawn and, and so if we're coming out with just what we've seen on television, then we have one Thrawn. But Dave, I know, and I have encountered um, what I would argue is canon Thrawn in the novel universe, not the uh, legend, not the legends books, but actually the the modern universe um, that, that that plays into Star Wars, and he's not, in my opinion, the villain. He he is a he's calculating. He's serving the um, uh, what's their race, Dave? I can't remember. The Chiss, the Chiss, the Chiss Empire. Like he's serving them, and he has this greater out, this, this greater good. And yes, he's aligned with the Empire, but I don't view him as a true believer in the Empire. Dave, you want to comment came, on this a little bit? He came when he arrived here. In, in this Star Wars, in, in the, the Star Wars universe that we we know, he was trying to find help to help defend his people against an enemy that they were still trying to figure out. That was extremely powerful, and he he was kind of awful on his own. The rest of the Chiss ascendancy did not think that this was a real thing and important, but he was driven to do it and wanted to find help. So he ended up traveling well away from his home and wound up 
meeting Anakin Skywalker at that point before he turned and ended up serving in the Imperial military. Thrawn is nothing more than a soldier who his loyalty to, to the Empire is based solely on the promise that they're going to help him in the end defeat find and defeat whatever enemy is threatening his his world. Unfortunately, we never get to see yet any of that transpire. But that was his intent. So as a good soldier, as a good commander, he just carries out his orders. There's no there's no additional there's no there's no he's not trying to gain himself any kind of prestige or influence or power beyond what he needs for home it's interesting you say that Dave because I, I look at Thrawn too and I I say yes he does he's a good soldier but there are times where he does not do what the Empire wants in the books right. and so he's not he's not following the Empire hook lag and sinker when it goes against what he believes is the right thing to do. And so there's that, he's towing a fine line. This is what complicates Thrawn to me. And right now, the Ahsoka Thrawn, absolutely, he's, he's supposed to be his villain. We really don't know much about him. And he's clearly, he's he's one-dimensional. But those of us who've had the, that's That's the one that I know. Right. Because I haven't read the books. Right. Or you, or if you oh, did, you may, have read, you may have read the Heir to the Empire uh, trilogy, which is a, which is kind of now part of the legends, but the Thrawn that Timothy Zahn has written in, in the in the series is is um, makes you view Thrawn in a way that's if he's a villain, he is entirely too complex to be just written off as ah oh, he's the villain of Star Wars. He he's he's way he's way more than that. But that's uh, to me what makes him a good villain for a enjoyment of a reader or an enjoyment of like right. just consumption because i mean saturday morning cartoon villains are all well and good and they have their place but you know right well see this is the this is my difficulty so the difficulty in labeling thrawn as a villain is the same difficulty i have with labeling vader as a villain so I'll chime in here with one of mine. Like we have to talk about Vader as a villain, but Vader when, like he, he doesn't like his intent throughout the prequels is all to save the people he loves. No one would argue that that is a bad ambition, uh, except when it becomes he will do it at all costs at the expense of other people. Then he begins to stray, but even in the end. He re there's this redemption arc that he has. And so where are you going to point at Vader and say, well, clearly the villain of the story? Because there's a lot in Vader I'm looking at and saying, this does not seem uh, villainous and he's being manipulated. I mean, he was, and arguably was manipulated into becoming Vader, right? Um, and, uh, and so his intent, his intent is certainly not entirely malevolent in my opinion and that's what makes him that's what makes me hard to say he reminds me of thrawn he's complex he's um man i remember reading um was it 
Matthew Stover, Michael Stover wrote the novelization for um, the um, what was movie three? Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. yeah, he wrote the novelization for that, and I will tell you, I read that novelization five, six, seven times because it did something. Number one, it redeemed the movie for me. It redeemed the movie because it was so you got inside Vader's head and Anakin's head and you realize how much he was being manipulated and it created in me an empathy for Vader that I never had in any of the series. And so fantastic read worth buying an audible in my opinion. Well, I think you can certainly have empathy and understanding for someone who's doing crap things and still objectively say you are doing crap things and your reasons while make sense, are still crap. And that makes you a villain. Um, it makes him a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, make like... Him a villain. Right. Well, again, I don't think we ever, like, sat down and figured out exactly what right. makes a villain a villain. Right, right. Um, right. What, because, I mean, I went into, like, all the all the aspects of to consider, but I don't think we ever definitively said... This is what makes someone objectively villain. We got to the point where we figured out that someone's motivations has an impact on their villainy. However, you know, I do think there are definitely like objective moral things that are good to do and bad to do. I mean, so let me put it this way. How far would you go to save the person you love? Like, what, 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 what qualifies that if you know this person's going to die unless you help them? What's going to like? Where, 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 where do you draw the line in this? And well, uh, murder someone else. But if it saves the person you love, do you just let them die then? Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like. The, the people that I love would not want me to murder people to save them. They, I'm pretty sure most of them, okay, maybe my brother would be, would be the exception to that rule. <laughs> but, <laughs> See? No, I'm just kidding. But I'm saying my brother would not want me to do that, but that does not mean that I would do that for my brother. Got I mean, it. now, if someone said to me, you have to choose, like, there are some Let's just say that, you know, that I get kidnapped by Saul or something and he tells me, would you like to play a game? And you can either choose to save the man you love or you can kill this random stranger. I mean, okay, you, I've been kidnapped by a psychopath. I, he's going to kill one of them. I don't have a choice at this point. I will, then, yes, okay, random stranger I don't care about for the man that I love. But barring that kind of weird scenario... No, I would not go on a murder spree to save someone that I love. That that's just not there's there's a moral compass that I have that's like, no, I'm not gonna do that. I wouldn't want someone to come and murder my loved ones to save theirs. Why is why is their life worth more because they love them than that other person's? That is not okay. So to say that because I care about someone, their life is now more valuable than someone else's life. How is that okay? What gives me some higher moral authority and more value to say that my love is more valuable than someone else's love? 
again, when we talk about the murder of Anakin, right? The Anakin and what he did under the Emperor, he was he was being manipulated by the Emperor who told him that the Jedi had turned against the Republic. And if he was serving the Republic as the good soldier he was, then him killing the Jedi made perfect sense to him and logical. I mean, and plus, the arguably, this guy held the power to keep the ones he loves from dying. He didn't, though, in the end. Everybody he loved ended up dying. Right, but that's not, but but in the moment, he doesn't know that. And when he killed, after he finds his mother, who is near death, his killing the sand people is a reaction to what happened. It's not, you know, he doesn't need to kill all the sand people. It's he lashes out in rebellion. That was vengeance. Yeah. That was, that was vengeance. yeah. It's, it's, and ladies, this is a red flag. If your man goes on vengeance killings, don't date him. Don't marry him. Okay. Yeah, but he but he was he was he was honest with his woman about this. He said, "Look, I did. No. I killed them. Red them. flag on the field. Get out of that relationship. Not a relationship." But he just you lost his mother. What more? <laughs> what more of a test of loyalty no. would you need than to know? I will rain down hellfire against anyone. Who dares come against the ones I love? You talk about loyalty, Cry, and yeah, dedication. Man. Absolutely. Ooh. He ain't gonna. He ain't even gonna look at. No one's gonna mess with my woman. At that point. Right? And ain't nobody gonna lay a finger on you. <laughs> yeah, but he's unstable as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but not when it came to her. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that is a red flag for to, to be fair. It, it, yes, even when it came to her, when he like got in her way, they're Mustafar. Right? He did, did he not choke? Did, did he not choke her for turning? Yeah, against but he did. He didn't jealousy. really kill her. It was it was a love wound. No, that is domestic <laughs> violence. Red flag on the field. Get out of that domestic abuse, Scott. Yeah. Hey, listen. All right. You know, he just killed a bunch of kids. For her. He just killed all kinds of people for her. And she goes and betrays him? With the the enemies of the Republic, the Jedi? Yes! He feels betrayed. Not okay. Not okay. Especially after he just spent the first 19 years of his life being told he's the chosen one, for God's sake. Well, I mean, you should not raise your child to be a chosen one. I mean, the Metachlorians just kind of Wild inside of him. Horos is an excuse. Oh my! Oh my! So you say Darth Vader is the good villain because I think there's no doubt he's supposed to be viewed as a bad guy. But I have a hell of a lot more empathy for Darth Vader than I do for Darth Tyrannus, and then for then for you know they. I just that my like I, I I I I feel. I feel empathy. I feel sorry for him. And though though I would argue that, yes, he probably fits the bill of a villain. I, I would see him as someone, yes, he has great power, but he also does not have a strong ethical core. Um, and That's what happens when, when your mother's taken from you and killed. <laughs> um, 
he's been he's been raised by a Jedi for the last ten years. There should have been some lessons instilled to control. Uh, yeah, but he your, came, your but, but but he came okay. way older than he was supposed to. And this is why we steal the children and indoctrinate them early. <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. No, go ahead, Dave. So, 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 so he's so here. Yoda was right. That's right. Yes. Well, get them, get them young. The, the, the Jedi never. The Jedi didn't help him. The the Jedi. Every time he started feeling these things, right? He's been told he's the chosen one. He should, he's gonna. He's bringing balance to the force. He's got this great important role from a young age when he first comes in. He's learning this. Every time he starts dealing with those human emotions, and all the Jedi tell him to do is suppress those feelings, ignore those things. Don't go, don't follow that. Don't go to here. What is that to, to a teenager? Meanwhile, he continues to get closer to Palpatine. Palpatine's like the uncle he never had, who's listening to him, who's helping guide him through these feelings, providing him actual emotional support. They also give him PTSD by using him as a child soldier in their war and then having him be responsible for another child soldier in the war to indoctrinate her. I'm just going to point out these are major flags and it is no wonder the man has PTSD. And there you go. And And also attachment issues. He even vents his frustration out of there because he believes that Obi-Wan's jealous of him because he's supposed to be this chosen one. He's not being guided along. He's just being told to forget how he feels. The Jedi Council and Mace Windu never liked the guy anyway from the very beginning. Gee, I They've done nothing why. Well, but again, even for when he was a little tyke and innocent and did nothing wrong. Maybe they knew something. Well, maybe they did, but... You can't, argue, you can't arguing him. with the Medichlorians. Don't argue with the Medichlorians. That's right. They, they, they keep holding him at arm's length, never really giving him what he needed. They were stuck to the same traditional Jedi training. And he, 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 he's not able to handle this. And he gets drawn closer and closer and closer. And then when he gets to the age where Palpatine really starts, starts, uh, manipulating him he falls in love he's got her knocked he's got padme knocked up you know they're married in secret because the rest of them don't won't allow it or understand and then he's told that they're betraying the republic it's no wonder he ended on the path he was on the jedi didn't were not innocent in this they did not help him oh no not at all they they most certainly i mean it's one of those things where having having worked with kids who are troubled and seeing them on the cusp as teenagers i can completely understand and empathize with being a product of a really crappy environment and not getting the love support and you know the guidance that you need especially um as someone who is like we're just gonna label him a gifted child and most of the time when you have gifted children they also have other areas in their lives, usually emotional, that they lag behind their peers in because they, they're given all of this advanced stuff, but then they're not always emotionally equipped to handle some of the advanced stuff. And then they also don't know always how to relate to their peers because they're, because they're so ahead of them in other places. So you have this person who, you know, would have been an outsider in his own peer group among 
all the other Padawans because he didn't grow up with them. He doesn't always understand them. And then, you know, he's probably outstripping them, which doesn't make him the most popular kid at school, I'm sure, and gets special attention. Especially, for being not, when he's, especially not when he's stripping them. Yeah, so, I mean, Scott, I'm <laughs> sure you see this in, in your classrooms with the gifted kids. I mean, how many be the awkward and just emotionally not the most mature people. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and they're told by their parents and their teachers how special they are. You know, so they have this inflated sense of ego and then someone comes along and threatens that ego. I mean, I, being a former gifted kid, would joke around about how I was terrible at sports because God was going to keep me humble every time I had to go to gym class. That was that was enough to knock any ego out of me. Yeah. I, I was terrible. I was basically putting me on your team was giving the other team the best player. I'm serious. Um so yeah. like I can completely emphasize, but at the end of the day, you have to make that choice. You have to decide whether or not to go murder some younglings. Hey, I'm if they're saying, if we're working for the people against the empire. Just kidding. I would not go drown kittens because someone was, because they were owned by a Nazi. That is not okay. So let me, uh, so I feel like we talked about Darth Vader, but we do have to, we, we can't end without certainly talking about Palpatine himself. Um, and, we're, and we're missing, but like Grievous is in there. We haven't even talked about Grievous. Um oh. Maul, I think Maul's the other one. So let's talk about well, these. these we, we bring up these. Um, Tyler Ren. This, oh, God, yeah, oh my gosh, we need a, we need another episode of this. To, just <laughs> talking about those uh, five. But any of these you want to hit here before we uh, we need to go into the interview that we have tonight. But well, my, my number one is Tarkin. You were a career military officer in the New Republic. You came from a military background of good, honorable service. And at the end, you resort to mass genocide just to make a statement. And he's uh, pretty callous about it, too. Very callous about it. Very. Yeah. He is my number one, just from sheer body count alone. He's my number one. Notice no one's uh no one's arguing. I'm just I'm just processing <laughs> I'm just processing the contrast between Tarkin and Thrawn in your mind. Oh yeah, we'll see. Because that. You're going, Thrawn you're going, killed he was Yeah. Yeah. Thr Thrawn was a soldier. Mm -hmm. He Post fought Tarkin. Yes. Thrawn's body count would wind up on the battlefield mm -hmm. in combat. Mm -hmm. Tarkin blew up a freaking planet with no battle, no with innocent civilians. You don't see innocent that. Civilians, don't see everything. Thrawn is not. Thrawn has not killed civilians. That's right. Could could Tarkin have made the argument, much like our argument about Thanos, that by killing them and having this show of power the shock and awe he was hoping didn't work but he was hoping that other planets would be so terrified that it would quash any rebellion and thus bring peace and that they would have to continue to have battles with rebellions and such 
you're probably right. So then that would fill into my number two slot because that wouldn't have been necessary if it weren't for my number two villain, Mon Mothma, who funded and led a terrorist organization against the established government. Interesting. Go on. Led to that led to the deaths of the entire all planet of Alderaan and countless, countless others in an ongoing precipitous war. You are being a contrarian. So, so here, I really am. Our, so, um, <laughs> I told Scott I, this one the other I, day. I, we were I, talking, I, was like, I, I like so this all, and I think that we have a bunch of villains that we still have yet to discuss. And I think that maybe we should do a part two. I, I think we're going to have to do a part two and just put a pin in this because I I see your... Yeah, because we haven't we haven't done Palpatine. We haven't done. We, there's a lot of people we haven't talked about yet that I think are worthy of being talked about. So let's 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 let's, let's table these, and we'll come back to it. Like in maybe the next episode, we can uh, aim on doing this, or if we want to do a movie for the next episode, let's cleanse our pal- palate. Let's do something. I raise you a Luke Skywalker. Yeah. I'm trying to murder Kylo Ren. And I raise you a Han Solo. Yeah, we could do we can do something else for the next time and maybe come back to this in uh, like two episodes from now or something. And I'd be all for okay. that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll do something that. to talk about. Before we but before we diatribe, we'll talk off air what we're going to do uh, next time we get together, but uh Miles, why don't you tell us a little bit about this interview that we're going to be uh sharing with people tonight? Tell us a little bit about who this person is, how this how this interview came about, and then we'll uh We'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll share the interview. Yes. So uh, last uh, shore leave, I had the uh, opportunity and the pleasure to meet James Swallow. He has written several uh, Star Trek novels and some of his own novels. Uh, he's a man from across the pond, so he has this great accent. But uh, yeah, I got to spend a few minutes with him um, talking about uh, his his books and. Where, where he's writing it in somebody else's sandbox, and plus some of his own uh, standalone books. Did you read? Did you read any of his Star Trek stuff? Oh, I, I've read all of his Star Trek uh, novels. Okay, um, I've, I've been a Star Trek novel reader for over thirty years, so um, <laughs> I definitely, I've definitely, I've definitely read his uh, Star Trek novels uh, and, and enjoyed them. So, um, but yeah, he he was on a panel with uh, Dayton Ward and David Mack about why we're not getting as many Star Trek novels as we used to. I got to talk, I got to, talk to him and meet him at uh, Shirley this past year. It was fun. Good. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and share this uh, interview, and then we'll come back afterwards and wrap up the show. Sci-fi fans, we're at Shoreleaf 43, and we're hanging out with best-selling author, Mr. James Swallow. Mr. Swallow, welcome, and thank you for taking time to talk with us on Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. I've been a, a reader of many of your novels over the years, and it's, it's, it's great to meet you in person. Thank you. So what were your early forays into science fiction, both live action and literature? So what, you mean like as a fan or as a writer? As, as a fan. And oh, okay. So. So um, I guess my first fandom was Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So in the 1980s, that show was being run uh, on uh, BBC Two, which was one of the, the UK TV channels, about six o'clock. So I'd come home from school, mm-hmm. dump my bags, do my homework, watch Star Trek, 
and then sit down and have dinner. And that was for me, that was like my kind of first entry into fandom. We had a lot of other stuff on at the same time, shows like Blake Seven and um, um, uh, Doctor Who, obviously, you know, so all of that was kind of part of my sci-fi landscape, going to Star Wars movies, um, reading Marvel comics, picking up sort of like Heinlein juvenile novels and that kind of thing. I, as a kid, I, I just kind of like was a sci-fi sponge, you know, anything I could get my hands on. I didn't care whether it was movies, TV, comics, what have you. I just sucked it all up. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of original work. Uh, I, I know you mostly from your Star Trek novels. Can um, Do you have a favorite series uh, that, that you watch and, and write for? Oh, it's, you know, that's a tough question because people always say like, what's your favorite? And I'm like, I, you know, I like, I like all Star Trek. I don't, uh, some to a great or a lesser extent. I think if I, if I had to pick one, if you really forced me to it, I'd say the original series because that's the one I grew up with. Sure. That's the one I've seen the most times. And I think that's the one I'm kind of the most comfortable with. Cool. Um, so I attended your panel uh, a couple days ago. Uh, why we're not getting um, as much Star Trek books as we used to. I learned a lot from what you and your uh, fellow authors were saying. The thing that surprised me the most was that paper print media is still the way most people consume their books. Mm -hmm. I would have thought that e-books would have changed that. Well, I mean, we are in a, in a, in a slow, glacial slift between, you know, e-books are becoming more popular. Definitely are they kind of taking the place of mass market paperbacks. But there is still a, a part of the audience, especially the older audience, who just enjoy reading paper books. I read on any format I can get my hands on, but I love mass market paperbacks. That's the one that I kind of grew up reading. That's the one that I enjoy reading the most. But at the same time, I'll be happy to read something in digital format. So I think we're, we're in a transition phase. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's definitely a niche for paperback books. I don't think they'll ever go away. Yeah. You know, I think e-readers are much more convenient for people that you can carry you know, an entire library of 10,000 books and something as small as your cell phone. Mm -hmm. And that's great. But I think that there's always going to be a place for paperback. That's good. You have a great catalog of your books that aren't Star Trek related. Um, can you tell us a little about your, your other work? So alongside all of my kind of Star Trek and other tie-in fiction, I write uh, original action-adventure thrillers. So if you like kind of Mission Impossible, Jason Bourne, that kind of thing, that's my Mark Dane series. I've also done a, a couple of standalone thrillers recently, um, Airside, and the latest one is Dark Horizon. Those are kind of high-octane, high pressure cooker sort of scenario stories, very different from my sci-fi stuff. Um, it's kind of like my second love. I love science fiction, and the other thing I love is high-octane action movies. Nice. What's the best way for people to learn, learn about you and your books? Well, you can come to my website, jswallow.com. Pretty much everything about me. It's your one-stop shop if you want to find out anything about me. All of my information is there. My blog is there. Or you can come find me on Twitter, at jmswallow. Great. Uh, do you have something new coming soon that we can plug? So my latest book is Dark Horizon. That just came out like a couple of months ago. Um, and that's been doing very, very well. That's from Wellbeck Publishing. Mm -hmm. uh, and beyond that, uh, nothing I can talk about right now, but I'm working on a couple of cool projects that I should be able to announce very soon. Fantastic. Mr. Wild, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. the interview with is it james swallow right yes and so be sure to look him up you can find him i'm sure where any error books are found if i can speak here tonight and uh yeah awesome well in two weeks we'll probably be either reviewing a movie or we'll figure out something else to talk about and then we will continue this villain discussion because we've only apparently 
touched the tip of the iceberg. So well, the next one we'll have to do is who are the biggest villains in Marvel? It's nearly as fun, but that's okay. Oh, I think it's fun. There's a lot. There's a lot more. There's a lot more. But all right, uh, I believe that's about it. So it's been great chatting with you guys tonight. Yeah, it's too bad none of us have any real opinions, opinions but yeah, <laughs> yeah, not at all, not at all. All right. Well, um, I believe that's it, Miles. Why don't you uh, go ahead and take us out of the show? All right. Till next time. Good night and good luck. We'll see ya. If your tips on the table and go boldly the sci-fi diner podcast on facebook and instagram send us your listener feedback at sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com and don't forget to look us up on youtube at sci-fi diner podcast where all of these wonderful shows are hopefully being posted and you get to see our reactions and how we look at each other with disgust on episodes like this <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think it's to my cat ears yes yes, yes. yes.